Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sportland Training and Fitness Sports Talks Podcast, the people behind the posts. Now, constantly, over the last two or three years, all we've heard of is what people are doing in their day-to-day life, in the gym, in their business, and everyone's coming up pretty much with the same things. And you know what? I'm a little bit bored of that. So what I'm here to do is to find out the reasons why people are doing what they're doing. Find out what has scared them. Find out what's put them outside their comfort zone. Find out really what makes them tick because that's where the magic happens. That's what's exciting and that's what's going to help you and it's going to help me push forward in our careers. And you know what? Just have a little bit of a conversation as well while we're at it because at the end of the day, I listen to these in my car. I want to be entertained. So maybe I can help entertain you. Welcome back again to the Sports Talks podcast. Uh, who am I? Dan Portland here with Tom Farrow, wrestling dad that kicks the crap out of rugby players and does all sorts of crazy shit. Welcome to the show, Tom. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Thank you for having me. No worries, mate. Yeah, mate. Nice and sunny where you are in the Lensbury. Lovely in the lovely Lensbury. It's not too bad. Yeah, not too bad to have that as an office, is it? It's not too bad. Very lucky. Yeah. So, for let's um like literally 10, 15 second intro about what you're doing at the moment, and then we'll um then we'll dig into the details. Okay. So at the moment, I'm uh, mainly working with uh, England sevens. Um, uh, sort of half half my weeks with them. I've been doing a bit of lecturing at St Mary's as well recently. I've just started that. That's been really interesting. Uh, I also do, so with the men's sevens team, I also do a little bit with the women, uh, some contact skills, as and when we can fit it in when they're between tournaments. Uh, and then around that, really, I've just been doing personal training, running, running my business outside of that. So uh, a, little, a little bit of a less busy year than last year for me, but still keeping myself busy enough. Yeah, lots of fingers and lots of pies, it sounds. Yes, I like to keep busy. Yeah, I mean... Like I think we spoke about it the other day when we were talking. Um, I was talking to you about some programming stuff, and we basically, you know, you made the point that it's, it's pretty much like having an extended department with lots of people working in different areas. You know, it's um, yeah. It sounds like you're in contact with a lot of decent coaches as well. Yeah, that's ultimately what I look for: is is a challenge, different environments, challenge me in different ways. Uh, and give me the best opportunity to learn really um, I've obviously I've worked with Dan Howes I've worked with Now Sevens um, since I was at Wasps I, I still feel like I've got lots to learn from him um, he's a good friend now as well it's a nice environment it's a good working relationship we have and I still feel I've got loads to learn from him so it's good to be in a place where you, I have the opportunity really Yeah. and I say I like to be busy I have a love-hate relationship with busyness I think inside I'm incredibly lazy I just keep myself busy out of guilt or something like that I'm not sure <laughs> It's like uh, no, I I I, uh, I hear what you're saying. Sometimes I wish if I could just live in a treehouse, it would be all right. Yeah. But then, yeah. unfortunately, 2017 doesn't accommodate 29 year olds that live in treehouses. I don't be constrained by what society wants of you, mate. <laughs> you're too right. Get your treehouse. Yeah, that's it. We'll start with the bus, and then we'll get a, get a treehouse going. Yeah. So the. So you, you're explaining that you're, you're working with, obviously, elite internationals on one end, you're doing some personal training on the other end. Um, 
what do you feel that those environments a like give to you but then also take away at the same time um for me it's less about trying to understand at this point exactly what they give me and more of a general exposure to different environments yeah so and that's within like the different sports within elite sport that i work with uh different levels um men women youth senior um for me coaching is like an emergent property in the same way that athletic skill is so we we're not clever enough to understand how take an athlete from a position and make them a master there's too much complex involvement of so many different things that can affect them and i think it's the same with coaching like the ability to coach is a skill and ability to understand uh, this many different variables that we need to be able to play with is a skill and the only way you get truly good at it is by being within lots of different environments so I'm not in a rush to get anywhere with coaching in a sense in terms of position obviously you want to keep moving forward probably just from your ego side of you wants to keep moving forward into more demanding positions but yeah. also from a learning perspective you want to do that but I think it's really important to just an exposure to many different environments because all those in solving the many different problems you have to solve you'll you'll have like an implicit understanding of what needs to happen um, obviously there's a theoretical side of things that you always keep to need to challenge yourself with as well so I read lots and lots I read very very broadly for sort of the same reason because I don't really know what the answer is I'm looking for so how, how am I supposed to know to map out what path's the right one so I could sort of hedge in my bets by exposing myself to lots of different environments lots of different um, areas of reading and seeing what comes out the top of that I don't know what's going to I don't know what the, the I don't know what my version of being a great coach is going to look like yet yeah. I know other great coaches and I know how they look but then there's there's different they're all different completely different mm. like and and i think the point is to find your own is to find your own path figure out and you don't know what your own path is yet so you've just got to put yourself into challenging environments that are a little bit uncomfortable and, and as you grow i think it's the same for athletes and i think that's what we need to seek to understand about athletes and try and recognize when they're in a comfortable situation balance them between chaos and order as i talk about a lot um and, and the skill is being able to recognize when they're in chaos and when they're in order and and then giving them the right dose of appropriately of what they need and and as we get better as coaches the box becomes bigger we understand chaos and order better in different environments and we understand many more different ways to manipulate that for an athlete and whether that be like and and as a guiding principle it's 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 vague but what that means is it's very useful because it's not about details and it's about where chaos for them might be physical chaos so too much load that could be chaos it could be psychological chaos because it's a pressurized environment it could be technical chaos in that it's an unpredictable environment they don't know what's going to happen it's a skill it's a it's a game type of game they haven't had to explore before so you have to understand chaos in all the different realms of chaos and then how can you make that orderly for them if they get too lost so one of the things I figured out last year 
working with loads of different environments, basically pushing myself a little bit too hard, was I figured out about myself that I am biased towards chaos. I enjoy being in slightly chaotic situations, and I think all of us are biased to one side or the other. There's a lot of people that prefer order, and there's some people that prefer chaos. I think there's, I think there's a pretty even balance throughout society, to be honest, and that's how societies work. But I, so I realised that, regardless of where you're biased, all development comes from the chaotic side of things, the unknown. So you have to expose yourself to that. How much of that you can tolerate will be down to you as a person. But what I came to understand last year was that too much chaos can destroy you. And that's why, mythologically speaking, chaos is represented by a dragon, which is a fire-breathing huge lizard that can kill you. And that can happen if you work yourself too hard and if you spread yourself too thin. So it last year was a, a lot of understanding myself came from again exposing myself to lots of different environments and understanding where am I comfortable and where am I uncomfortable and then sort of adjusting for this year to find a bit more balance for me which I've tried to do yeah so I mean like to mediate that and to gain that understanding would you or did you did you keep a journal um, I don't keep a journal as such I have a notebook that I write I used to have lots of different notebooks for lots of different things and then I did realise that it was making my mind a little bit compartmentalised yeah. and that's not a good thing and it's also, it all came out of my mind, whether it was to do with uh, business, uh, psychology, leadership, sport, philosophy or just my own thoughts, it all came out of my head or came through my head if it was someone else's thoughts and it was my interpretation of that. So then about uh, probably two years ago I started just having one big notebook that I put any ideas I come across that I particularly like if I'm making notes from a lecture I'll put it in there and then I'll every now and again just write my thoughts but it's not a daily thing I don't, I'm not really that habitual with it I'd like to do it more I think it's a very good practice I think everyone should do it to be honest yeah like that that resonates like a lot with me because I, I was making some notes yesterday on like on the stuff from DB Hammer and all those guys again and I had my notebook and exactly that thought process went through my head. Like, I was like, oh, I'm making a note here, but then that doesn't correspond with the notes that I made before about something else. So I need to start something different. And then, yeah. and then I was contradicting myself. I was like, well, where the fuck's it all gonna go? Because yeah. it's all got to come back to one place eventually. Yeah. You know. Um, I think like, that's the other thing I think is really interesting about notebooks, and I enjoy doing this, is going back and reading through my notebooks. And, and you can see the formulation of ideas. So there's ideas I'm, I that have a big part of my thinking now, like this idea of chaos and order and whatever. And you can see where that started, like right way back when I, when I first started this big notebook. Um, so I'm on the second notebook now. When I first started doing it all in one notebook a couple of years ago, um, you can see these ideas there and they're, I've not quite figured them out what I'm talking about. But And and, and this point, like, I suppose two years from now I'll look at what I'm talking about now and realise that I hadn't quite figured out where I'm going and it'll be this ongoing process but I, I really enjoy looking back and thinking oh, okay I sort of had this idea then but it wasn't where it could be and it, I think it's a very interesting thing to do and the same reason I think why one of the things I'm thinking a lot about now is that so I consume loads and loads of books on all sorts of different things but I often think that well why don't I go back and read some of those books again yeah. and a few books I have read more than once um, but there's some books I think you should read over and over again because every time you read them you're reading them with a different 
mind. Mm. I think it's like a, it might be a Zen saying, some sort of saying that no man step, you don't step into the same river twice. Yeah. And I think it's just with a book, like you never, it's never the same you who reads that book. It's, it's, there's some interaction between who you are and everything you've become and that book at that moment in time. Yeah. Like, there's a few books on my list that I want to go back and read again and again, really. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in, in that whole um, side of perspective because obviously like decisions and choices and like you said reading and all those things do come from a completely different perspective every time you 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 take that path and no i'm I'm in complete agreement and i found that um as well slightly bring a little bit back to the snc side of things when i've been uh, the development of my speed coaching stuff because it, it is that constant change in in the perspective of how you actually look at the athlete moving and look at the way that they do things to then yeah. interact with them in the right way to then obviously like you say um provide some order to the chaos so there's that for me brings up like a big issue within sport and sports science at the moment and and science when it's done wrong for me like science is an absolutely unbelievable tool that has been transformational in terms of how we live our lives and things like that. It's, it's an incredible tool, tool. But I sometimes think it's it's misunderstood in the sense that people are chasing what everyone talks about objectivity. Yeah. Like there are levels of objectivity that we can work towards, and that's what science is about doing. Really good scientific method is about getting as objective as we possibly can. There is no pure objectivity though. Everything, every part of any scientific um, research is done through a subjective lens. It's then interpreted by whoever reads it through a subjective lens. And then if you're going to take a paper and say, well, this worked for these guys in this situation, so I'm going to try it out on my guys in my situation, then your guys in your situation are going to subjectively interpret everything you're giving to them. So there are levels of objectivity we should be working towards within scientific research, absolutely. But... There is no absolute truth that can come from that where we can then go, well, this is this then. Yeah. And I sometimes think science done badly and it's Western philosophy or Western thought done where the bad side of it for me is chasing this absolute truth, this absolute objectivity where we can predict the world and not have to worry anymore. And yeah. it's not possible. It's not possible. I don't think it's a useful way of looking at the world. And that's sort of what anti-fragile, Taleb's anti-fragile is talking about from a financial perspective, although he uses different um, examples. That's what he's talking about. Like, if we chase absolute predictability, we leave ourselves open for what he calls black swan events, stuff that you just can't predict. And you're you're never going to catch up. Like, you're never going to be able to... Even if you had... Well, I was listening to something the other day and it was talking about to get a, an algorithm like really really predictable it would require I think within financial markets this was talking about or financial data it was something like 500 years of data would mean that it could get to a point where there'd be quite a low error rate yeah but then the thing is because so even though it's got a low error rate it's got a massively high computational ability so it can make loads and loads of computations at any one time so what that computational ability does is magnify the effect of that error so even if it might be like a 0.5% error but you're making millions of computations that's hundreds of thousands of errors yeah are going to be made 
And that's what we have to appreciate with data and in terms of it being this thing we can rely on. It's certainly useful, but if we start thinking it's something we can absolutely rely on, and and it's like there seems to be this war on human intuition, then you know we're gonna we're gonna lose out. We're gonna make some massive errors. We're gonna make big. We're gonna hit big problems in every realm that we try to do that. And I, I sort of see a, an issue with parts of sports science at the moment. Some of it's done absolutely fantastically, but parts of it and some general ideas where we're trying to chase this almost take out human intuition and the, the humaneness of developing yeah. athletes and I don't think you ever can to be honest no it's just the manipulation of people isn't it hmm. and it was funny the um, the other day uh, one of the guys I was working with um, we were talking about a certain exercise his lower body um, and he I was like can you please just do this for today because we're we're looking at X Y Z, um, and he was like, "Well, you know, is it going to be better for me?" And I I knew the answer I should have said, but I turned around to him and I said, "Well, I don't know. Let's let's try," and just to see what he'd say. And he just took me on on blind faith, and we went for it. But it, again, it's it is. I'd like to think that goes back to that you just can't control it. If it is it going to work? Maybe. If, if it does, good. If it doesn't, start again. Well, I think that's really important to say I don't know to your athletes when you don't know. Yeah. There's no point in them. Like, yeah. You have to have faith in yourself as a coach that there's enough stuff that you, when I say no, or say stuff that you're confident enough in yeah. that if they do it, it will have the desired effect that sometimes you can say I don't know or it depends. For me, everything depends. Yeah. Like, an athlete would ask me a question. I'll probably ask them about twenty questions back before I give them an answer. Yeah. Um, like I had this idea: beware of those that offer answers. And um, that's not to say that anyone who gives you an answer is a bad person. So there's two types of people that give you answers. There's people that give you answers because they're trying to manipulate you. Think about sales and think about like hustlers and, and how they manipulate people. Yeah. Is they give you an answer? They give you an eat something that, that seems like a simple path. Think of Donald Trump. Like yeah, dictators they do. Uh, so there's those that are so um, a malevolent way of giving answers, and then there's a benevolent way of giving answers where people are just trying to help. And as coaches, certainly when I first started coaching, you're very keen to give people answers because you want to help. Um, whereas now, my challenge for myself is to ask better questions. Yeah, and and again, coming back to the balance. It doesn't mean that you should never give answers. So I sort of came around to that when I was coaching the sprinters last year. I might have 25, 30 sprinters maybe in the gym at any one time. And they've all got slightly different competition schedules. They will all have done slightly different training that day as a result of that. Uh, They'll they all have slightly different gym programs and they'll be asking questions about each of their slightly different gym programs about certain niggles they might feel or, or something that's changed in their week so I thought that well if I don't give them an answer and I say you go away and figure it out then you're you're not letting them have access to your years of experience and study etc so obviously you need to give answers sometimes but then I thought about how I gave them an answer and what I realised I was doing this wasn't consciously I was just doing it was um, asking them lots of questions back mm. so hey your hamstring hurts okay why what 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 do you think made it 
when did it start to hurt? What do you think was the point where it, um, what point in the leg is it hurting? Has it hurt recently before? Are you doing, uh, do you have a competition this weekend? Like just catching up with them on everything. So hopefully what that then gives them is a thought process they can go through next time before they have to come and ask a question. And you'd find over time that approach that they've come to me with answers for themselves and I wouldn't have to go through as much of a process of questioning. So it's not that never give anyone answers. It's not that anyone gives you an answer is an ask a bad person yeah. but essentially anytime you get given an answer especially simply it weakens you because you've not figured it out for yourself because you don't understand all the little bits and pieces that make up that answer is to give a man a fish teach a man to fish like if you just what am I going to do today you're going to do four sets of six squat yeah. like boom that's it and and sometimes maybe that some and again it's some athletes want less explanation or less discussion than others and it's figuring them out and what's right for them but I think if you can always I always try and back it up we're doing this because of this at least that's the, that's my minimum I like to explain as give them some sort of why yeah. as to what they're doing um, just just to, to empower them ultimately because mm. I guess you know at the end of the day they're the ones that are taking the field taking the track they're the ones that are really making the most important decisions when it matters and it, I, I do I think there is a, a huge relationship between decision making in competition versus out of competition you know it's that habitual nature of preparation practice um, trying to eliminate as much variance as, as possible in order to yeah. get um, their, their clear objective aims you know this unless you are you know further further down the end of your career and you've been doing it for long enough where you can stray a little bit because you know it but on the path to getting there I think you've got to be quite closed in, in certain things I don't know I, 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 definitely there's certain things but then imagine the effect of giving them more choice yeah giving them more like they've imagine just going oh, I don't know what what need does that create in them if you don't give them anything yeah they've got to then go away and try and learn for themselves and I'm not saying don't do that I'm just saying where, where am I thinking at the moment is I'm very interested in much more interested in skill acquisition side of things yeah um, like learning so a lot of popularity around the moment around non-linear uh, development around ecological psychology and these ideas applied to technical development of skill um, I think we need to understand that as SNC coaches because again it's, it's that end goal in mind and what we need to get them towards it's it's so another thing I came up with last year so one of the things for me last year was I was working with sevens I was working with speedworks and I was at um, kayaking uh, through the IS so um, if you take British canoeing and EIS as two different institutions I was involved with um, speedworks plus um, the RFU and sevens men's team women's team as well um, I, I wanted to figure out what is the thing that sits above the level of the sport that's important like so I'm in all these different environments what connects them what what thought process do I need to go in if I'm going to go to a sport because when I went to kayaking I knew very very little, little about kayaking yeah. I didn't know what a good time was I didn't know like what distances they even competed at and I spent a whole month just watching and paying attention and trying to learn. So 
I thought, well, I want to do this. I want to put myself in situations of sports I've not had exposure to before. I also worked with a high jumper last year, one of the British uh, junior champions. And again, I hadn't had any exposure to high jumping before that. And I, I wanted to be able to, when, when athletes like that come to me and say, can you help me? I want to be able to work through the first process and understand what needs to happen quicker. Yeah. So I wanted to have a way of thinking that sits above the level of the sport. So um, I was, and I was speaking to a friend of mine, Simon Nainby, who you know and who runs um, Underground Athletics, and he was telling me he'd created this uh, philosophy document where he wrote down in detail what he thinks about as many areas of preparation as possible and reduced it down to, I think he had a six-word um, summary of what his philosophy is. And I thought that's a brilliant thing to do. It's a great practice. It's, it's one of those things, it's like a task we got given in third year, but as a third year student, you know very little about training and you don't really know what a philosophy of training should look like or anything. Yeah. So um, it's quite an unsophisticated thing to come up with. But So I thought that'd be a really interesting thing to revisit having had the experience I'd had up to that point last So anyway, I came up with two words that I could summarize everything I wanted to do. And it was cultivate heroes. So heroes are those that are able to face chaos and come back with something useful. So George and the Dragon, St. George's Day this week, it was soon, isn't it? Thanks so, yeah. uh, George and the Dragon, that story is George goes out to fight the dragon, which is chaos, and brings back something of worth, which is a, a fair maiden or treasure. That's what that story is about. And that's ultimately what we want to do. We want to... I first had create heroes. I thought I want to create people that can go out into the chaotic environment of their sport and come back with victory. And then you break that down into like well, each little situation they face within the sport. So say if it's football and beating a defender, yeah. I want them to be able to beat that defender more often than not. Yeah. So And each of those situations, a little chaotic situation, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the variables are. It's hugely complex. Many different factors affect the outcome. Um, but the heroes are those that overcome that more often than not and if you look at the people we hold up as great within sport they're the guys that do that more often than not and they do it in the most pressurized situation so Muhammad Ali overcame fighters who everyone thought could beat the shit out of him and prove people wrong Conor McGregor's doing it at the moment yeah like he's, he's building up pressure on himself by talking creating more chaos and then we love him even more for it when he overcomes it yeah. he's the hero he too we follow um, so I changed from create to cultivate because I realised that we don't really create these individuals we get some sort of half fashioned uh, being when we when we come into, first come into contact with them and, and we have to help them to develop who they can become whoever that is yeah. so like a flower comes from a seed, but that within that little tiny seed is everything that the flower can become. But we don't create the flower, we don't create the seed, we just cultivate the flower to grow out the seed. And I think it's the same thing with athletes. We have to help them find their way to wherever it is they're going. And that's my sort of that that's where I've got to in terms of this is my that's my overall aim for everyone I work with, whether that be elite sport, whether it be um, a sixty year old woman who just wants to be a little bit more fit it's like I want to like create, cultivate a hero who can whatever is the difficulties in their life go out and face that in a in a better way than, than previously previously having contact with me yeah that's decent I like that I like that a lot that's a good practice that's good yeah. practice how long did it take you to come up with that then 
29 years. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's it. It's, um, it's everything, isn't it? It's everything. All your experiences, then that's why I think it's a good practice because it's trying to pull in everything you've ever experienced into into what you think at that moment in time and it, and it, um, it will be revised. And But I, I'm, I'm sure, I'm fairly confident that the aim of cultivating heroes will remain because I look across many different disciplines and it's it's fairly constant across films, across books, across religions, across philosophies. That's essentially what they're all saying in one way or another. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that will remain as a goal. Obviously, as you get further and further down, the details of what changed more and how I go about that. So it flows down into, well, how do you um, how do you cultivate heroes? How do you get good at dealing with chaos? Well, you need exposure to chaos. You need frequent exposure to chaos. But as I said, too much chaos too soon can destroy you. Yeah. So our job as coaches is to recognise what's chaos for an individual, what's order. Use our coaching toolbox, whether that be sets and reps, or intensity, volume, or if it be certain skill drills, certain games, whatever it is, or whether it be psychological challenges, um, whatever to place them individuals in a chaotic situation which they can find them their way out of. And that's the hero story. He starts off in a place, he descends into a shit place, his life goes bad, and then he climbs himself out to be a stronger person. Yeah. And they're the people we hold up in society, and that's every film you've ever watched, that's most books you'll ever read, that's the story. And um, so I think that will stay fairly static. What will change is my methods of how I go about doing that. And that'll change loads, I'm sure, over over time, and become more sophisticated. I'm sure. Yeah, that's yeah. I like that. And it's, you know, it's it's evident. In, like this saying, everyone loves an underdog. Um, yeah. I was in a team talk a couple of weeks ago before a game. And the coach was like, "I'm sick and tired of having to write you down as the underdog against these teams when you're better than them." And the yeah. psychology behind that was because the team needed that. To, yeah. to then essentially cultivate themselves to become heroes to go and win a, win a com- competitive game and it's, yeah. quite, it's quite interesting and what I always like to hear about people and hear um, hear those people that say you know, I was just ruthless I, it, I the foot on the throat all the time I'll do anything I'll crush anyone and those are the people that sometimes for me either that's verbally them portraying that or they don't fit the hero mold because they're different in that way yeah or if it's if is it their external self-talk because i'm always quite impressed by them because i'm like well, you've got it you've got it nailed in you've got a lot of confidence you, you you should have a lot of ability to back that and and then then they do it's like well, this guy's made up but is that because he is putting himself in that pressure to inversely boost himself up do you see what I'm saying yeah yeah possibly and, but it can be false it can, you can't lie to yourself yeah and like and it can be false confidence and it can be so um, for example if you've got a team and you're trying to tell them they're the underdogs when quite clearly they know they're not yeah like it's not going to be useful yeah um, it's certainly useful in terms of like promotion from like fight side of the world where it's, it's more about media and money like sometimes yeah it makes out to be that you're the underdog when actually you know you're not yeah. that's strategy that's that's not that's not deep psychology mm. um, so I think 
you can't lie to yourself, but every single one of us in whatever we're doing is on some sort of hero path and, and on some sort of somewhere along the curve. So you know my logo yes. of a, a re- logo. Stimulus adaptation curve. It's the same thing as the hero story. That's yes. the path. Down then up. The further you want to go up, the more you've got to go down first. Yeah, yeah. I came from Lord Peterson. I watched hours and hours of his lectures, read his huge book, and that is the, still my favourite thing I've ever heard him say is enlightenment is down and then up. Yeah. And the more you want to go up, the more you've got to go down first. And I think that as a society, we're less and less willing to go down or to embrace the shit to get to somewhere better. Yeah. But that's just the law of the universe is that like yeah. to to get something you have to give something that's that's the way the world works so and I think a lot of this like I was talking about chasing order and some of the scientific problems I see and western thinking problems you sometimes see or global thinking problems is um, trying to expose ourselves to as little risk and as little problem and chaos as possible in order to get the most benefit yeah, and that's what Taleb's talking about financial systems and what he's saying is that a lot of the risk models and a lot of the ways of managing financial systems are trying to take out as much variability as possible but what that means is then when you get a bit of variability outside of the norm of what they've constrained the whole system goes to shit and you have a crash whereas if you allow for a lot of variability the system's much more anti-fragile say or robust initially or anti-fragile being it that can it anti-fragile is the ability to benefit from chaos yeah so another way of saying we're looking to develop heroes might be to say we're trying to develop the quality of anti-fragility fragility being what breaks down in chaos robust being what remains stable anti-fragility being something that um, takes chaos and, and uses it to its advantage mm-hmm. so the best players do that in sports the best athletes do that so if you look at Messi within a chaotic uh, part of the game when the game breaks up he is able to exploit that yeah. the All Blacks when the game breaks up they are able to exploit that so this is though where I think the balance comes in in that the reason they're able to exploit that is because their core skills are so good that they can then exploit that chaos Yes. so I think within practice you need exposure you need to figure out whatever discipline you're in it doesn't have to be sport what is absolutely fundamental to success in that discipline you have to absolutely master that you can't there's no marginal gains like before you get like if you can't master those fundamentals yeah if you can't pass catch and run in rugby like what you supplements you take are going to have a very small effect over who you are as an individual yeah as a player but so you can't ever get away from those foundations so figure those out master them never stop going back to them and then test them in different environments and different under different pressures over and over again and and that's I think when you see really good environments that they get that right and and if you look back at stories of how people trained like masters how they trained that's what they did and talk about Bruce Lee used to say um, I'd rather fight a man that has practiced uh, a thousand kicks once and a man who's practiced one kick a thousand times yeah and it's it's not to say that repetitive practice is the way to go. No. Um, uh, Sean uh, Miska uh, talks about movement Miyagi, talks about uh, um, repetition, about repetition, which comes from Bernstein. It's like, again, you go step into the same river twice. 
every single time you practice a pass or a punch or a kick or whatever, it's different. Yeah. And Bruce Lee used to you have to be the punch. Mm. Like, it, like it's almost like a meditation in practice. Yeah. So there's time while you do that, and there's time where you'll go out and and put it to practice in different situations. Uh, Lomachenko in boxing at the moment, want like like poetry watching it. Unbelievable. His movement, his timing, his distance, and his speed. He's had almost 400 amateur fights. He lost one of them. He's gold medal in 2008, 2012. And then he came to professional boxing and he won a championship pretty quickly. I think within four fights. I'm not sure, but something like four fights. So he's as good at boxing as he is because he put himself in the thing itself, the boxing match, mm. almost 400 times. And then you think on top of that, all the sparring sessions he would have done and then the basic skill work he would have done on top of that. But he tested himself in the environment 400 times yeah. before he went professional. Yeah. So now professional level, like most people will have nowhere near that many fights now. Mm. A lot of people used to have that. So he's got this mastery of timing and distancing within boxing that, and but then add to that his footwork, some of his probably natural gifts in terms of how he moves. He can, he understands how to use his body at his absolute optimum and it's like poetry to watch because he understands everything that that chaotic environment is and how to exploit it and it is and I think that's what the best people do yeah oh, it sounds yeah I, I definitely would agree with that like where do you think <clears throat> and where do you feel mentally checking in to sessions sits in, in terms of like um, yeah, let's keep this extremely broad with with all disciplines. What, how do you feel that having your psychological preparation down towards practice benefits? I think it's integrated with the practice itself, and it comes down to engagement. Um, so going back to flogging order and chaos. So the Taoist taught that life is about order and chaos. Yeah. And to live optimally, we need to live with one foot in each. And so like I said, that's why I think we want to keep our athletes, if possible. Every now and again, you're going to put them more in one or the other because maybe they need a little bit more order because there's a big competition coming up and you want them to have some sort of confidence going into that and not feel like they're in a chaotic place. Sometimes outside of competition, you want to put them in more chaos. Sometimes you want to do the reverse, depending if it's a lower down competition. So you talk about uh, Michael Phelps' coach used to hide his goggles and stuff like that before competition. So he's able to deal with shit like that when it happened at a higher level. Yeah. Um, so, but really what we want is athletes that are engaged in what they're doing. Yeah. And that engagement comes in that perfect point most of the time between order and chaos, when it's just challenging enough. and. And there's a lot of stuff now around sort of non-linear development, ecological psychology that's saying, looking at the, the benefits of unstructured play and so much that we've lost as a society and in terms of the athletes coming through because they don't get as much of that as they used to. Yeah. And I think in unstructured play, you know, I was at a thing a couple of weeks ago with uh, Rick Shuttleworth and Rory Teague, who, uh, Rory Teague's the skills coach of the seniors yeah, yeah. Uh, in senior rugby and um, Rick Shuttleworth, uh, he's a coach developer, he's basically like a um, he's like a Mr. Miyagi of coaching in terms of like his understanding of things and so he he advises coaches in lots of different sports he's working with the English senior team at the moment and it was brilliant and one of the examples they gave was the Johns brothers from rugby league and they spent a lot of time playing in the garden when they were young I think they were quite close in age and they I don't know rugby league very well 
certainly not Australian Rugby League, but apparently they were two of the best players ever. Okay. And so they had some video clips of them playing in elite rugby, but then also them practicing in their garden and their mum and dad are talking about their approaches. And um, it was it was sort of centered around the fact they just used to come up with all sorts of different games in their back garden with different balls, sometimes rugby balls, sometimes football, sometimes tennis. They'd do crashing contact tackling games, they'd do passing games, and they'd, they'd play they play around with each other all the time. But obviously when kids play, the, the whole point of it is the engagement of the play itself. Like, yes. do we find this interesting? If not, we're going to change the game. Yeah, yeah. Where I think that structured play is incredibly powerful and and where I think a lot of this research into saying it works is, is going is that, well, at least one part of it, is that that is like a self-regulated engagement. So those two kids will self-regulate engagement. If a skill's challenging, they'll carry on doing it. Once it becomes easy, they'll move on to something else. Yeah. Um, if one of them, if they're doing a tackling game and one of them's completely dominating the other, they'll they'll stop or they'll change the rules. Or like we all did it. Like I, I like you know I never I had a little sister and uh, didn't they play like game? I probably did in some way, but I can't I can't remember sort of games good example but there's lots of situations with like where brothers maybe might be doing um a a tennis playing tennis maybe okay yeah, i'm yeah. going to only use my left hand yeah like or constrain themselves to make the game more engaging because it's not yeah. fun to completely smash someone yeah and um and that feeds in as well to uh, jean Piaget, who is a developmental psychologist talked a lot about play mm. uh, there's research also on rats and watching rats play um like play fire which they do a lot we all have a play circuit. It's biologically imprinted down to at least rats and probably lower in, in different mammals and maybe even beyond that. But we all have a play circuit. and So rats will play when you leave them together. But what, there's some interesting research, and I've no idea who did it or what the name was, but it's out there somewhere, is um, the when rats play fire, the bigger rat will beat the little rat 60% of the time, but no more. Yeah. Because... If they start beating it any more than that, it doesn't become a game anymore. It doesn't become fun. Mm. So the big rat will be somewhat submissive in order to make the game work. Yeah. So a lot of this is from Jordan Peterson, and he's a psychologist from um, uh, from uh. Toronto University of Toronto in Canada, uh, in Canada. He wrote a book called Maps of Meaning, and he's he's got a whole two he got a whole lecture series online, which I encourage anyone to watch. I've watched both. He's done. He does two lectures, two modules each year, and he puts the whole module series up on YouTube completely free. Um, some of the best things I've ever listened to, and a lot of my thinking now has been very influenced by a lot of the stuff he talks about because he talks about many, many broad areas. Yeah. So the thing that Rats and um, Jean Piaget and play, uh, and talking about play is something I want to look into a bit, a lot more because this idea of unstructured play, I think, means that like I said, the self-regulation of engagement. So the challenge for us as coaches is sometimes we need to set the tasks yeah. and we need, because there's certain things we know need to happen or we believe needs to happen based on our experience and based on what we know. Um, but are there times where we can create instances where training is, there's completely unstructured time for them to go and play almost, to kind mm. of figure things out for themselves, to create yeah. games for themselves. So that's one thing I'm thinking about at the moment. My um, uh, our sort of tagline for our company, Retail Performance, is go play, because I think that play mastery at its ultimate level in any discipline is is play. 
So you have to go through a process where it becomes like rigid, breaking things down, trying to figure them out, and it's this hard focused thing. Yeah. But then you talk about flow and the stuff around that. It's like when athletes are performing at their best, they'll say it's almost exciting, it's fun, it's like play, it's the same thing. So it's like we start off playing, we go through this process of breaking things down, making them harder, and then we we, at the ultimate, ultimate end, it's like play. Mm. And another thing I suggest anyone read would be Ronaldo's, uh, Ronaldinho's letter to his younger self. Yeah. And it's, it's around that idea and I actually inspired this idea of go play. That's where my inspiration for it came. And, um, you look at Messi, he looks like he's having fun. You look at Lomachenko, he looks like he's having fun when yeah. he's fighting. Um, so, so that could be taken wrongly to say like, our oh, players in like non-serious. It's like play can be a really serious thing. Like you watch kids over the park playing football. Yeah. Like want to win. Oh yeah. So it's not that play is not non-serious, and I think it's also been taken the wrong way. If you look at some like PE courses now, like oh. some they do there, it's like yeah. play, but without a point to win, and it's like well then it doesn't really, it's not fun anymore. Like yeah. So it doesn't mean non-serious. It just means exploration. That's that's what we're trying to create: exploration of themselves in different environments. Mm. That's the ultimate aim. I think there's a great example of that this weekend from the Chiefs versus Stormers game where yeah. you see the trial they go the full length of the pitch it's ridiculous and yeah. it's play that, is, that looks like they're just literally having fun doing it exactly you can't structure that no no definitely you can't not make that happen. Yeah. I was having a conversation with Tom at work the other day I'm working on that presentation called Show Me Your Maverick and that's a culmination of ideas around coaching and you touched on a lot of things there I'm, I'm quite glad that I agree with a lot of what you're saying and it resonates with me because um, means I'm going in some sort of direction that someone else agrees with as well um, but we we coach it seems like that everyone gets coached towards that finite end but then that needs to open back up you need to be able to coach people to make decisions and to embrace chaos and I think you put it very well that the it is finding order amongst the chaos but then you we it's like right we're gonna run a multi-phase play such in, in rugby union that's just got to be the start yeah and then we need to open these people up because I've had groups where it's, it's stuck with me and it infuriated me was when I was doing some change of direction with a group of athletes and I actually said to him, it's like, right, two, uh, one by ones, take him on. And I was used to it, show me your maverick. There was not one successful one v one in favor of the attack. And I was like, for fuck's sake, how have we ruined these athletes? Because they're professionals. Yeah. They would have got to a professional level because they're good. Because of some inherent natural talent. And by process alone, from like closed mind yeah. coaching, we they lose that. Because a they don't get enough exposure to those environments. B um, they don't train the physical qualities often and well enough to supplement it. Um, yeah, and there's no C because I can't think of one. The term like show me a maverick, and you're right. It's, it's getting to the point exactly is that we want to bring that out of the players where possible. Yeah. So again, it bring it back to balance it's not about chaos all the time yeah so um there's a huge book i started reading and i, I do want to read the whole thing 
it's called Strategy. It's by a guy. I think his name's Lawrence Friedman. And it's basically go. It's like a history of the world through the eyes of the generals, the war generals, and the different strategies they use to win their wars. So it's a massive book. So I cheated and went straight to the end and wanted to figure out what the uh, the, the point was. <laughs> so I read like the last chapter, and the last chapter was very satisfying for me because it fit into an idea I've been talking about a lot with contact skills, um, which is essentially be like water so Bruce Lee said be like water because water can crash and it can flow and sometimes and in rugby so within contact skills for instance we're very good at the crash element of understanding we have to crash into someone Yeah. but sometimes someone's bigger than us and we can't crash into them so we have to be smart and we have to use our skill and that's where what I do with contact skills comes in is how do you take down people that are bigger than you how do you find their weak spots how do you exploit them and within this book strategy it's the same thing. So you've got basically two broad war strategies, force and guile, which essentially crash and flow. Yeah. So guile basically being skill. So force, if if that's never to say so guile both of them, you need both of them to be a successful army. Yeah. Because sometimes you need to just if you're much stronger than your opponent, you need to go in and just crush them. Yeah. As as simply as possible. Sometimes if you're the smaller opponent, so um 300 the Spartans 300 of us we've got to do something smart we have to use some guard we're going to look at the land and we're going to find this point between the mountains where it's very narrow so we can exploit the fact that there's only 300 uh, that we can basically uh, level out the differences between us yeah. that's guard and they they still ended up all getting killed because there was thousands of Persians or whatever against I don't maybe it was only 300 maybe it was more but um, they, they outperformed what their ability, their general perceived ability might have been beforehand. So we need to be able to recognize, again, within athletes' ultimate aim is, and within strategies that they develop towards the competitions they're going into, when should we be taking advantage of force? When should we be taking advantage of our strengths? Mm. And when should, we be taking, when should we be recognizing our weaknesses and being smart with how we work around that? Yeah. and that's the self-awareness we want to develop within athletes so they can shift that situation because chaos is going to be different for every single individual athlete based on their abilities yeah. and how can we shift their um, how can each individual athlete shift each situation towards their own personal order make something good out of it and then go out and face the next little bit of chaos and then do that over and over again yeah. and then you're successful the most times you win more games you win a season and, mm. and that's what competitions are all these tiny little micro uh, situations make up these macro situations of I want to win the uh, World Cup okay well there's you've got to break that down into finer and finer detail and and we've got to be able to do that and then they've got to be able to overcome those little situations and, and find their own order from it when they can nice how so like bring, bringing that back to you as a person, and um, you know, you're you're a father of two young kids. How do you ever catch yourself, or how does this understanding of the universe and and your sort of evolving philosophy of it, how does that shape you as a parent? Um. So it, again, it's the same philosophy, and I'm trying to challenge them in little ways but not too much yeah so I don't and I, and I try to make it playful anything I'm doing with them I want to play with them as much as possible uh, it's fun for me but it's fun for them as well yeah um, 
So an example, uh, when Leo was uh, my oldest boy, he's two and a half now, when he was just starting to crawl, uh, in the house we were living at at the time, we had a small step that went down to the kitchen. Yeah. And I found it really interesting how people would be around babies and small steps. They never wanted them to fall down. They never wanted them to cry. And obviously I didn't particularly want him to fall down. I didn't want him to cry. But I knew that if he went off that small step, which was, um, I don't know, like less than half a foot high probably. Yeah, yeah. What it would mean that he'd probably roll over because he'd lose his hands. Uh, Like he might bump his head, but like he's not going to hurt himself. He'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. But what it'll do is it'll mean he'll figure out how to manipulate steps and understand them much quicker because he's been exposed to them. So I would, if he was ever around that step, I was quite blasé in terms of letting him be around that step. I'd be watching him out of interest, but if he was going to fall down, I'd let him fall down. Yeah. And then I'd you know, put him back up and sort of encourage him to be back around there. and You, you, you soothe him and whatever. Um, but then we also had like the stairs that went upstairs. Whenever he went up those, I'd follow him quite closely behind. And there were times where he was going up those stairs, he'd get halfway and he'd fall backwards. Yeah. And if I wasn't there, he could have seriously, seriously hurt himself. Yeah, yeah. So for me, the, it was like I wanted to expose him to just enough chaos of being able to fall down and hurt himself. Possibly a bit, but not much that he couldn't get up and walk away from it straight away. But not so much that he could potentially get brain damage from falling halfway down a set of stairs, and yeah. and that's what I think. That's what I see as I'm trying to figure out this parenting stuff, which is probably the, the hardest thing I'll ever have to apply these ideas to. Yeah, uh, is is to try and get that balance between uh, to to have the courage to expose them, and I, I didn't. I I hope that I have this as they get older, but it's it's very very hard because you love them so much and they mean so much to you that to expose them to any sort of danger or chaos or, or risk or the potential of being upset, you don't want them to be sad because it is horrible to see. Yeah. But I, I can allow them the freedom to be exposed to those situations enough but find the balance that I don't I know when to say these are these are the rules. Yeah. These are the rules you have to stick to. And um, so that's a, a sort of trying to give a practical example of how I might apply those ideas but yeah it's something, it's something I think about a lot I think it's it's one thing having this broad strategy of or idea of well here's what I think needs to happen at this um, philosophical idea level which yeah. there's no details there's no meaning in that until you apply it and what I don't have from parenting is a load of examples of how to apply these ideas I've got more with coaching yeah. with them situations but they're much more simple and so Yes, I'm learning as I go, and it, and what's what I think is very useful about having this guiding strategy is, like I said, you have a guiding strategy that's probably not going to change, and it can help you make decisions. But it doesn't mean that all decisions are going to be made right, like any more so than someone who doesn't have a guiding strategy. Um, it's just, I suppose, a useful way for me to be able to question myself and go, well, where where am I here? Am I being too strict? Sometimes I think I I can can be too restrictive on him on certain things in terms of letting him explore because I don't want him I feel that it might be more dangerous than it actually is yeah and it's just trying to find balance really that's interesting interesting must be a a very um, rewarding time oh it is it's an amazing time it's very tough I say to everyone uh, it's like even just when we had Leo the first just that first um, our first one was 
um, it's the best thing ever and it's the hardest thing ever yeah and that gets multiplied by about a thousand and having two I don't know how anyone has any more children than two so I'd like like give them a round of applause because it's the most chaos I've been exposed to is trying to you know be busy at like um, you know Kate's studying medicine like she's yeah. super busy as well um, like having to manage all our lives and then alongside having these kids that you want to do the right thing with is, is bloody hard and yeah, like, it was when people get it right. I mean, you look at people who've done a great job, who've produced great, great people, like, and you think, oh, bloody hell, we've yeah. fair play. But we have the other thing is, is I think as parents, which is a hard thing to to come to terms with. I'm mean, I, 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 less so now because they're young, but as they get older, I know it's I know it's gonna be hard to come to terms with. It's like you actually have past a certain point very little influence over their lives. Yeah, like. And it goes so quickly. So he's two and a half now. He'll be at full time school in one and a half years, say. Yeah. And then, um, then they're spending all this time in a week with people other than you, and you obviously, but a lot of things that can happen. And I think that's a hard thing as a parent that because you care so much about these little things uh, of letting them go out into the world like that. Yeah, it's crazy. I was gonna. I was gonna. I think you touched on it quite well. Like you've got, so you're working for multiple employers as well as a strength and conditioning coach. And I think, I think the industry is gonna go that way more and more. Like myself, I work as in a consultancy capacity as well. But how does how do you manage that around being a father as well? Like because, you know, we've done it. You work till ten o'clock at night and start early. And do you? Do you miss time with them? Do you get to spend a lot of time yeah, with them? Absolutely miss quite a lot. Like, in the week, I can be out of the house quite often from half five and sometimes get home at sort of half nine, ten o'clock. Yeah. So that's a massive amount of um, pressure on Kate, who's on maternity leave at the moment, but also needs to be studying for getting back to a, a degree and um, uh, to do medicine. Um, and like, there's a, that, I mean, that as a course, She's, she's done her first year last year and bloody hell the stuff they have to learn like yeah. it made me feel ridiculous of ever feeling that my degree was hard in any way because like the, the anatomy bit of our course makes up like the tiniest little smidgen of her course and then there's all this other stuff you have to learn in, in a lot of time so yeah it puts, a, it puts a lot of pressure on on Kate I think which because within the week I'm not I'm not there loads what's nice is every now and again you do get at the time like today this morning I was there and um, spent two or three hours just playing with them really and it's it's great and that's what's nice about the job is you get time like that where other people wouldn't get time yeah um, and I, but I, I generally try to keep my weekends pretty free like I might do at the moment I have like one personal training session in the morning on a Sunday which I've had for I've trained a guy for like for almost five years now I think. yeah and um, it's just something we've always had in there it's it's nice for me to get out of bed like a, a I get along with the guy great, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't have trained him for so long. Yeah, um, definitely. But it's um, but other than that, I try and keep my weekends free, so I do get to have good long weekends with them. And we live in a lovely place near the parks, and we're able to make good time and use of that. So we're really lucky, really. Yeah, yeah, that's decent. I like that. That's a very honest appraisal as well. The situation, fair play. Um, yeah, it's not easy, but you've got a. There's, I think you have to be honest with what you want in yeah. life again like going back to you can't lie to yourself and if you do lie to yourself you're going to end up resentful somewhere along the way 
Yeah. So you have to be like, well, like it or not, this is what I want to achieve. Is it possible within the constraints of my situation? Sometimes it's not, and you have to take that and uh, and change. You, you have to change what you're aiming for because you can't achieve everything you want. Yeah. But, um, I think you have to start with, well, what do I really want? And then again, work backwards from there and try and find a way. Um, I'm really lucky with Kate that she's very understanding and very like supportive of what I do. And I try to be as much as I possibly can of what she does because I, I want her to achieve what she wants as much as me achieve what I want sort of thing. But it, it does, it's, it's bloody hard. Yeah. <laughs> There's, no, there's no two ways about it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's interesting. Um, Last last week on the um, on the show we had Mark Stevenson. He was talking about education. And I thought it was quite interesting because he was saying how he came out of university, and I went pretty hard at like saying, asking him the question: Are you prepared coming out of university to work in the industry? Now yeah. you're in a you're in a very unique position. You, you're doing some lecturing at a university. Um, yeah. Given what you know. Of the industry, how have you changed the way that you are teaching these these students? Yeah, again, um, I think I'm in a nice position in that I go in, I, I teach one module. It's a mostly practical module, um, so it is an opportunity for me to go in and go. This is how I do things in my practice in the world of training athletes. Yeah. And it's probably a nice contrast for them for the mostly theoretical stuff they'll be getting um, there at the moment. And it's nice that the S&C course at St Mary's is fantastic and it's, in a, it's evolved over the years. Yeah, I can see how much it's evolved from when I started there because when I started it was very, very theoretical the first year. And it still is and it has to be and I'll come back around to that. But um, it's very theoretical and I'm, I'm, I've always been quite anti-authority, fight the powers, fight the system. So, yeah. so if someone tells me this is the way things are, I want to go, right, why is it not that way? And that's just the way my mind works, I've recognised over time. So um, so straight away, and I also came into um, S&C course, um, I was quite a bit older, I dropped out of school, I'd gone and worked in the city for a year, yeah. I'd then, like every single job under the sun, as I was trying to get back into university, realising that I made a big mess of not going in the first place. Um, and by the time I got to the SSC degree, I knew I wanted to be an SSC coach. And I'd already been doing my own sort of learning online through um, like following people like DeFranco, Westside Barbell, Charlie Francis, James Smith, Buddy Morris, guys like that. So I had a framework to question everything that was being taught to me already, which I think now, because the industry's bigger, that more of these guys coming in at first year will have that framework to question from. Yeah, which is important. Um, so, firstly, I am giving them. I'm quite open to them. Say a lot of what I'm showing you is my approach to things. Here's yeah. my rationale for it. Here's where it comes from. Don't listen to me. Go away and figure things out for yourself. Um, especially towards your exams. Your exams, like um, in the outside world, there's no boxes. Everything depends. It depends. It depends. Within a university environment or in an examination environment you have to put things in boxes in order to be examined them. yeah so what I say to them is that you have to go and, like universities are very good they'll tell you what the boxes are if you're listening and they'll tell you where to go and read to get good at answering the boxes yeah so um, I tell them go and figure out that pass your examinations because you need to but keep in mind that 
the world is a little bit more complex. And I, I encouraged them the very first session I gave them. I told them that, well, this is the truth. On my course, there was uh, myself and, and one other guy who got an internship in professional sport when we left university out of, I think, 35. And I think since then, a few of the other guys have gone on to get work in professional sport and work among sport. But straight away, I think there was only two of us who got internships, not even fully paid work. Yeah. Um, and now, that's, that's from 35 that finished the course. I think about 50 started the course when we were there. Now, 80 of them started the course. And like, there's there's more jobs, but there's more, more um, competition for jobs as well. So I said, if you're not going out now and coaching, you're at a huge disadvantage. You need to go out and coach wherever you can coach. Don't aim to go to the, the most professional place you can possibly go. Aim to go somewhere where you can make mistakes. If you can go and do some personal training, I encourage you to do that because it's still coaching, it's still managing people, it's still solving problems. But everyone's got a little niggle you have to work around and understanding how to do that in there might have some carryover to when you, you get into professional sport. Um, once you've got that base, then try and get exposure to professional sport and professional sport environments and and that becomes your place where you can question in your mind um, before probably you should worry about asking questions with your mouth. Yeah. And when he was in the army they say you've got two eyes and two ears and one mouth and you should use them in that order. And I think that so go out, pay attention to these environments and ask questions and try and figure things out. Um, and, and if you then you're going to develop the capacity to coach. But you need a theoretical understanding. So, like I said, I was quite anti-establishment, anti-university. I thought everything they told me must be wrong because they're the they're the authority, and therefore anything I found outside of that would be of like coaches working in the trenches. Say that was right, and what they were telling me it was wrong. Yeah. So in first year, for example, it was like everything had to be a deep squat. It was um, everyone had to Olympic lift, all this sort of stuff. And then I was going to the uh, Francos, and you're seeing these freak athletes doing box squats just at parallel or maybe a little bit higher and they're uh, no one does any Olympic lifts and they were sometimes they do like tricep bicep pump sets at the end of sessions and I was like wow that's very different to what I'm seeing in the university yeah but so by the time I left I matured enough to understand that the university plays the role of providing you a foundation of here is the widely accepted knowledge or information as it stands today like that's there to give you a base to go from and discover the chaos of the real world and ask questions against and update it with your own understanding. So they need both. So, I, and this is pretty much how I told it to them in the first session. I try to reiterate this when I can, is that get really good at the base theory yeah. because you need you need to understand it. You're going to have to come back and revisit it to, to test a lot of the stuff you are seeing in the real world. But accept that it, it's not absolute and there's not any absolute answers and you need to have the courage to be able to give your own answers sometimes and make your own mistakes and again like I said at the, right at the start like coaching system where then you become hopefully able if you're paying attention in the right way yeah that's decent very very good explanation <laughs> as to all the <laughs> questions um, mate I think you've done a fantastic job of putting a good representation of yourself I think as a coach as well on, on the show so thank you for that um, the um, I'd have to say I am 
I'm always pleased whenever we get the chance to, to talk and have a conversation. I think this is a, just having a show like this is a, just an excuse to have concentrated chats with people yeah. and, and hear what they've got to say. Um, and, I think it's something like, like we were saying before, I think it's such a, a great thing to do. Yeah. But like you say, it, it, it formalizes it, so it forces us to do this a little bit more. Yeah. And and we should probably, uh, and like, obviously we have our meeting of the minds at the moment with everyone from like, with Dan and Evelyn, London Scottish and, uh, and whatever, and, uh, and Griff and some the full of, um, I text you actually after the last one say that, you know, we're having these formal things, but we're not getting a chance to catch up. Like we used to a lot around what's we'd go to the cafe and we'd chat for yeah. hours and figure things out in the process. So yeah. definitely we should do it more often and, um, I'll give you a chance to talk more next time as well. Oh, me it it's all good. <laughs> me waffling. Mate, no, that's uh, mate, it's not a problem. That's that's no issue there. Um there's a couple there's a couple of interesting questions that I'll just hit your way quickly before uh, before we wrap it up because we're we're clocking well over the hour now, so we um we'll uh, we'll get through it. Um Okay, so um I asked this to Mark last week and I think it's quite a good question. If you could go back to any point in time, where would you go and who would you speak to? Uh, I would like to go back to sort of like ancient Greece. Yeah. I would I would watch the wrestling training. I'd watch the gladiator training. I'd watch the military training. I'd find uh, Aristotle. I'd have a little chat with him. Yeah. <laughs> Cheeky glass of wine. Yeah, drink some wine, wear a toga, yes. whatever it is to look for. Um, I think there's so much of knowledge that still is applies today Yeah, that stood the test of time that originated from that area. And I think it'd be so interesting to go that far back and see how much of what we're doing now is actually, you know, they figured out ages ago. And the, and the thing I... I find with like philosophy and reading into that is that you know these principles are thousands of years old. Order and chaos, Taoism is like from the I Ching is like four thousand year old book. Yeah. Like and so much of what's in that is still like very very applicable to modern day. So I personally like going back as far back as I can and seeing what, what's consistent, and then um, and then going okay. So then where's the differences in our modern day and where do you need to adjust that? Yeah. But it's like you have to understand history in order to repeat it. They say. And, uh, but for me that would be absolutely fascinating to see what those guys were up to I think it would be a lot more familiar than we think yes yeah yeah I, I hear you on that I definitely um, so wh where do you get your fulfilment from? sorry say that again it went a bit further. oh sorry mate yeah where where do you get your fulfilment from? Um, that's a great question I'm not sure I suppose little things, and I suppose it's something that I'm not particularly good at, is pausing to, to be fulfilled. Yeah. It's like, to myself is to go, stop and appreciate what you're doing every now and again, because I think Keir spoke about it when he was like, and I think it's probably a, a thing that drives a bit, this constant need to, to learn and acquire information and, and go to different environments and, and develop and develop and develop, whereas we can get so much more from pausing and just going, reflecting on the situation reflecting where we are what we've come what we've managed to achieve and what we've not been so good at what we failed at and um, 
I think fulfillment is a funny thing. It's a bit like happiness. It's like when you notice it, then it's probably going to disappear quite quickly. Yeah. So, yeah. Partly, I don't think it's something that you should try and pay too much attention to. Yeah. But every now and again, maybe just go, yeah, you know what? Everything's quite good. And, yeah. And, and, and I, I get those little moments throughout my, my week, say. There's parts of the week where I'm absolutely knackered because I'm doing long days or something like that. But then there's many parts of the week where I'll be like, yeah, this is a nice moment. Like if it's just um, pulling into the drive where the sun's going down near the park near us, and like we're very lucky to live where we live, and just something like that. Sometimes just walking into Lendry and thinking, buddy, I'm very lucky to spend a lot of time here as an office. Like yeah. it's a nice environment to work with the people that I'm working with um, in terms of coaches and to be able to learn from them. Um, sometimes just walking, like we do a lot of our coaching in Twickenham Stadium, like from boring to walk through the stadium past the pitch and just be in awe of it because I remember I, I, when I was at uni I lived opposite the um, the stadium and uh, I used to think oh it'd be good just to jump over and go and sit on the seat and like yeah you know but for me it doesn't lose that um, that amazement of this 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 place and there's this feel to it and there's you know, so much history and mm. and spent my childhood looking up to watching rugby there and yeah. yeah. So things like that, you just get these little moments where you're like, yeah, this is this is really special. Yeah, I think definitely for me that fulfilment it is, it's it's very much like a gust of wind. You know, the ones that just hit you on the back of the neck, you're like, okay, and it 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 hits you. For me, I get it in my stomach, and it just it, it it's like when you um and also like you know when you have. You know, you're really hungry on a Sunday and you eat a roast dinner and you just sit there and it's that feeling you're just like yeah that'll do it that'll yeah. do it and and like yeah it, it's as soon as you acknowledge it it's gone yeah because you I think I think it's being open to it isn't it it's like yeah being open for those things to pass by you every so often because we can get you get your head down and you're grinding and you're doing loads of different jobs and trying to go from one thing to the next and it's just get taking those little moments yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm also a big fan of like the idea like I said I think I have a love-hate relationship with busyness and a lot of these ideas that I have now came from um, the time after I left the senior team at Wasps I was working part-time with the academy I was doing some PT I was doing some consultant work contact skills with uh, a few teams and but I had a lot of time in the day um, I didn't have any kids yet like I had a lot of time in the day to go and sit in a we used to talk about flaneuring and like yeah. just go and sit in a coffee shop and think and not have much purpose to your day and I think we again another thing with like modern day society of just rush 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 achieve 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 and I, I'm always recognising it for myself that I need to break that cycle and, and be easy sometimes like just sit and do nothing and see what comes to your mind because I think in that situation is where a lot of this stuff to be honest bubbled up from it's not from uh, like Stuart McMillan says coaching is about periods of uh, synthesis and analysis so I think what I try to be aware of is that and it's harder I think as you get older and you get more responsibility and you probably get more opportunities come up as well so more things to, to say yes to in a way is to actually structure some time where you're not going to do anything or you're yeah. going to do very very little and give yourself that time to reflect because that's where everything gets knitted together and all your experiences get knitted together it's the order that you need to return back to mm. after facing the chaos and to reflect a little bit yeah. and go, okay, this is what I think happened. Because for last year, I was just, like I said, like brilliant in terms of the amount of coaching hours I was doing, different sports, different challenges, jumping from one thing to the next, trying to figure things out, trying to get my head together. I was on the motorbike driving across London, 
from when I went from sprinting to training kayakers or yeah. to training someone in personal training. And but then when I stopped doing a lot of that in the summer because I realised I was doing too much, I I then had a few little moments since September to now where I've been able to sit back and reflect and go like, yeah, this is a this is what I think again. That's awesome. So yeah, just to wrap it up, give everyone your social media, how they can get in contact with you, follow you, hear what you're doing, website, promote yourself, mate. Um, so the, my Twitter handle is Arete underscore perform, which is A-R-E-T-E uh, underscore perform. Uh, my website is uh, www.arete-performance.com. Um, my email address is through there if you want to email uh, always happy to discuss I'm not the greatest at getting back to people very quickly because I don't actually spend much time on the computer I'm usually rushing between things but I, I will get back at some point promise yeah. Um, and uh, yeah I think roughly from there you can figure out everywhere I have like Instagram whatever I, I put some videos on there every so often mm. um, of some of the stuff I do so yeah follow me if you like happy days Nice plug. Nice plug. Also, if you are in and around Twickenham area, make sure you get to this guy's SNC sessions that he's running. Get down there, check it out on the website. I'll plug it for him. Um, there you go. Better plug it and stuff than me. Yes. <laughs> That's because I sell myself, mate. So, um, yeah, but with that being said, just to wrap up the, the presentation, uh, go play and cultivate heroes. Uh, I am Sam Portland of Sportland with Tom the Legend Farrow. We'll catch you next week um, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you, mate.